In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not there, but so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, we will be bringing on author Aaron Wallace, who you may recall from several episodes on the podcast last year, as we talk about High School Musical, the musical, the series, the soundtrack. We will be discussing our thoughts of the Disney Plus original series as well as the wonderful music, which has a mix of original tunes and returning favorites. So because we have a lot of content to discuss, this conversation will actually be split into two parts. So uh, please enjoy our conversation ahead. And I do want to mention, too, because we talked about so many tunes from the high school musical catalog that I actually made a mistake in a reference that I make uh, later in the conversation. Um, I make comparisons between the song Born to be Brave and Bet on It when actually I meant to illustrate a comparison between Born to be Brave and The Boys Are Back. So there are just too many high school musical songs out there. So that's what I was thinking of. So with that out of the way. Um, Let's jump right into my conversation with Aaron as we talk about High School Musical, the musical, the series, the soundtrack, part one. With one season complete and another on the way, High School Musical, the musical, the series, has become a hit Disney Plus original, and its soundtrack is just one piece of the amazing aspects of this show, which I have come to really adore. And I knew that a fellow uh, Disney connoisseur has also appreciated this. And um, he's a now he's a five-time guest of Notably Disney. So I'm, I'm really happy to be bringing back on Aaron Wallace. Uh, you know him for having authored several Disney books, including Hocus Pocus and Focus and the Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom 2020, among others. Um, Just a a great guest, very thoughtful, interesting reflections, and always have a good time. So welcome back to Notably Disney, Aaron. 
Hey, Brett, thanks for having me back. And uh, I assume that uh, like SNL, uh, for my fifth appearance on the show, I'll be getting, uh, what is it, like a plush robe and a box of cigars uh, <laughs> to welcome me into the five timers club, as they say, uh, at any time now. Yeah, just you'll just expect a you know FedEx package in a couple of days. I'll be out to Orlando. So yeah, uh, well, it's 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 great to have you on. I know we were talking about you know different episode topics, and I had mentioned you know I really would love to cover the the soundtrack, the music of High School Musical, the musical, the series. I maybe we should just use HSMTMTS. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know if that's any easier. <laughs> no, uh, requires a lot of thought. But you know, we were talking about how much we enjoyed it and wanted to give it uh, some attention because it's a, a unique piece of programming on the platform from the standpoint of, you know, it's a complete musical series. Every episode um, generally has an original song. There are some returning favorites and it's just kind of capturing the the spirit of the original. But I, I'm hoping we can maybe begin by just briefly talking about our impressions of the first season um, because obviously that all um, has concluded by now and we're eagerly awaiting season two uh, whenever that might debut but yeah what were your thoughts of the first season what drew you in to watch the series so i have to tell you first i was a little skeptical going into the show i know there had been a preview uh, at the d23 expo this year uh which you and i have talked about in previous episodes uh that uh that had gotten a lot of people very excited for this series but i had missed that preview and so i knew really very little about it going in and uh, expected something very sort of watered down and disney channel-esque um but watched the first series the first episode dutifully out of uh, loyalty to the high school musical franchise which i do love in general and i have to tell you i was completely surprised and completely fell in love like fell in love with this series from the first episode and was just so taken aback by how smart the comedy is uh and and i mean smart in a number of different ways i mean it's sharp just sharply written jokes at times it can be kind of a joke machine in the way that a show like 30 rock is it has that kind of quality about it uh i'm thinking uh in the first episode where um one of the teachers walks in and sees the character of carlos uh who's not in class and he says isn't there somewhere you're supposed to be and carlos just looks at him in deadpans broadway it's so great uh and and it's also you know, it's not afraid to deal with uh, sort of big intellectual concepts. Like there's a lot of discourse about feminism and uh, intersectional feminism and things that I would not expect from a sort of youth targeting series. Um, it's smart. And the cultural references, the sort of highbrow cultural references that, that it makes. Um, it's just smart in a lot of ways. And it really understands itself and, and what it's trying to be, which is this sort of meta, highly meta series that's commenting on a franchise and commenting on the company that created it. There's just so much going on in it. And I just appreciate that kind of multi-layered comedy. I think those all are all really good points. And yeah, the humor is really top notch. It's some of it is uh, very subtle and it's like, you have to watch a certain clip multiple times to actually uh, recognize some of the hidden jokes or um, humor. But I, I don't know about you and maybe this is sacrilegious, but I and I I wasn't as big of a fan of the films, although I, I like the music quite a bit. I enjoy the series much more than any of the three films. Actually, it's I would never have thought I would say that, but I, I find this ridiculously entertaining. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I mean, as much as I do love those 
three movies for what they are, an emphasis on that uh, that caveat there, uh, they are very much uh, of the Disney Channel, right? And and this is sort of something different. It's, it's a step up, I think, not only in terms of, obviously, production quality. It's clear that, like, much of the Disney Plus um, original programming, it's got a higher budget than a made-for-TV project ordinarily would, particularly something like Disney Channel. Uh, but also, as we were just saying, just in terms of its tone, it's a little more grown up. Uh, and so I think just easier to connect with. Yeah. And you, and you also pointed out that there's a certain degree of um, maturity to it in terms of some of the themes that are embedded into the storylines. I was thinking, too, you know, you have um, Ricky, who's dealing with his parents' divorce and um, Carlos and and um, his his eventual boyfriend kind of navigating um, the, in a sense, the coming out process and, and being their authentic selves. There's a lot of different themes that I think are, you know, much more present in many kids' lives, but are brought to the surface more in this show, which ultimately is very funny, but is also a, a solid teen drama of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. And it is that, you know, in, in saying we're talking about how it's sort of a grown up version of, of High School Musical, it is at the same time very much a, a teen drama. And I, I, I suspect that this is a theme that will come up throughout our discussion today, the way in which the show and its music and its content sort of uh, balances those two worlds and those two audiences, uh, both the, the teenage demographic today and then the, the demographic that maybe might have been uh, that age when High School Musical first premiered, but have since grown up. Uh, and, and I think it, it balances it quite well. Um, and, and throughout the series, I keep thinking about Glee as a point of comparison. Uh, obviously, they're similar in some sense, uh, it's about a cast of friends in high school who put together uh, musical productions or, or musical performances. Uh, but I, to me, and this was my big surprise, I think it's such a better show than Glee ended up being. I just never would have thought that. But whereas Glee sort of quickly, in my opinion, went off the rails, and I think that's a widely held opinion. Uh, so far, I mean, we're only one season in, but so far this show seems to be sort of grounded. And as I said earlier, just has a really strong sense of, of what it is and where it's going. Yeah, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking, too, you know, it's very tight in the fact that really there's only 10 episodes. They kind of range from, you know, 25 to 35 minutes. But, you know, every scene, every every piece of it feels useful in, in telling the story. It, it doesn't feel like there's any throwaway scenes. Everything has a purpose in showing the relationships across the characters and and how they're developing as you know high school students and also as a cast working on a production. Yeah, you're so right. I was thinking that same thing today uh, because I, I went back and rewatched the first episode. And I should say at the outset that other than that, it has been a while since my one and only viewing of the entire first season. Uh, so I, I'm not an expert on this series by any means. But uh, but as I went back and revisited the first episode today, with the benefit of knowing where it was all going by the finale, I was really impressed with how clear it is that that the writers had the benefit of creating at least most of the show, writing it, you know, scripting it out, sketching it out, um, 
from the get-go. And, and that's something that's true of just streaming platforms in general. They give their creators the freedom to not have to be writing on the fly week to week to week. Uh, and also they have the freedom, as you said, to um, adjust the length of any given episode so that it's just the length that it needs to be. And so some storylines are resolved in you know 20 minutes and change and some go well over 30. And I really appreciate that. You, you never feel that there's bloat as a result of that. Right. Well, and, and speaking of everything feeling, uh, you know, nice and cohesive and, and purposeful, the soundtrack, um, which we'll talk about, we'll really talk about the music more generally, but it's worth noting that the soundtrack, which uh, really catalogs all the original songs, all of the returning favorites that are featured on the, in the series first season, and also instrumental versions of um, the original songs from uh, season one, it's a it's a really nice uh, encapsulation encapsulation of of this really fun series i felt like you know what i might not be watching the episodes multiple times but through listening to the songs i can be transported to the episodes and i think that's what any effective soundtrack accomplishes absolutely and you know another thing about the soundtrack just as a whole is um again going back to the theme of balance how well how well balanced it is in terms of new songs versus uh, the returning songs from High School Musical. Uh, it, it never feels like it's leading, you know, more in one direction than the other. And so you have this moment of sort of nostalgia and reminiscing, and then you just quite seamlessly slip into the new music, uh, which is maybe not all excellent. And we'll talk about this, I guess, song for song. But uh, but a lot of it is, I think, quite good. And so, yeah, I, I have really enjoyed listening to the soundtrack beginning to end, um, you know, several times on repeat over the last few weeks. Well, awesome. Well, maybe let's go straight into that. There are, as of what I counted, nine original songs um, across the 10 episodes. Obviously, um, for certain songs, um, they're performed multiple times and in different ways. Perfect illustration of that it would be the first song that is new to the High School Musical franchise that we hear in episode one. And that is, I think I kind of, you know, so maybe we can kind of go through one by one and, and start examining them. So what, what do you think of this piece, which originally we hear via um, Nini uh, delivering that kind of video message to Ricky and then ultimately Ricky's acoustic guitar version? Yeah, well, I think first it's to the series benefit that the first original song we hear is, to my mind at least, one of the better ones in the first season. Uh, this particular song was written by a, a songwriting duo uh, named, uh, I think it's like Zachary and I don't know if it's Weiner or, or Viner or Weiner. I'm not sure how you say the name, but anyways, they, they've done a number of things for Disney and in the theme park world in general. So uh, if you're familiar with the Celestina Warbeck and the Banshees um, show that happens at Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They compose all of the original music for that show. Um, they did Disney's Twice Charmed on the cruise line. Um, they did the musical episode of Once Upon a Time, the series. And uh, so I had see, come across interviews with them occasionally over the past few years because of these other projects that they worked, in, uh, worked on. And so um, my interest was already peaked when I learned that they were going to be writing a song for this series. And turns out it's the first one we hear. But yeah, I really like this song. I love the way that it musicalizes the vernacular of millennials slash generation z you know just to build around build a song around a phrase like i think i kind of you know um which almost sounds like it's saying nothing and yet at least in a certain generation you you know exactly what that means and so i think it's very clever in that way that's a fantastic analysis i 
I was kind of thinking about that, but you put in, uh, you, you framed it much better than I could have. Um, it's What's really cool about it too is that it's, there's a certain sense of innocence and sweetness to it because again, it is a love song, but um, I really like how each of the characters kind of puts a different spin on it. And with the Ricky version in particular, it really increases in tempo as the piece progresses and it feels like um, just a, a ballad of sorts um, when he's performing on stage. And of course, she, Nini feels embarrassed, but it's just, it's hummable and there's a great beat to it. We hear different instrumentation because originally when she plays it it's i believe a ukulele and then he plays the guitar so we kind of get some different renditions of a set of lyrics too yeah yeah i'm so glad that you you picked up on that as well because i was thinking um along the same lines of how their choice of instrumentation for these two characters kind of reflects where those characters are at the very beginning of the first season uh nini playing the ukulele it's it's very sort of a a cutesy version of the song and of course at this point in the show she's fresh out of summer camp in a new relationship she's kind of bright-eyed and enthusiastic and oh i can be a stage star now because i had this starring role at camp and uh and so that kind of comes through in in the instrumental on that version of the song uh ricky's is as you mentioned on guitar uh it's maybe a little more masculine which we see or i should say you know traditionally masculine um and, and we see like he has some anxiety about that early on in the beginning of the series uh he makes comments about uh you know not not liking musicals not being intimidated by the kinds of guys who would go to a musical summer camp uh, and so i think maybe that anxiety of his character is comes through in his uh, choice of instrumentation that's really fascinating to think about the choice of instruments and kind of representing who they are. And you're right, we, we see that progression over the course of the series. And and even if you think about, and we'll talk about some of the subsequent Nini songs, because I would say some of them are clearly Nini songs. Um, mm-hmm. She There's almost a sense of, not only in the lyrics and, and tempo, but a sense of confidence that grows in her too, in terms of like the, um, the, the choices she's making in terms of what she's singing about and what's what's overall the mood. So I love how you mentioned the notion of that this is right after summer camp and it feels very, you know, you know, young and, and reflective mm-hmm. of that part of her life and, and how it changes as she's, you know, pursuing going to a music, a uh, special music program and, and her relationships are evolving. Yeah, such a great point because, yeah, again, in only 10 short episodes, we do see a lot of growth in these characters, particularly Nini, uh, who, as we'll see, does the brunt of the solo singing uh, throughout the first season. And yeah, I think we should say at the beginning, I think she has a very nice voice, as does Ricky, and we'll talk about some of the other characters as well. And one thing that's just really impressive to me about the casting for this series is that they got, it must have been so difficult, right, to find young actors who are of the age roughly of the characters they're playing which isn't always the case in hollywood uh, who can sing very well who can act well who can balance both drama and comedy but who also can play these already well-established, very well-known characters from the original High School Musical franchise. It just can't have been easy. Uh, And then to also be able to have them all sing together as an ensemble, and they also have to be able to dance, uh, and and they nailed it. I was just really impressed with the casting, and that started with this, you know, these first few scenes and this first song. I love how you pointed that out, because I was thinking about that in one of my notes was, we have to talk about the cast, because, you know, yeah, we're listening to these songs and thinking, oh, they have 
great voices. These are incredibly well-rounded um, performers in all all definitions of the word. And I think too, what shines through is that sense of just honest passion that they have for their roles. That chemistry is extremely palpable mm -hmm. and you put them together in songs and it's just, it resonates. And I'm thinking, you know, I, you know, I, I enjoyed Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens and essentially we have Olivia Rodrigo and Joshua Bassett as the equivalents of those leads. I I kind of prefer this duo. I think their their level of talent on all of these fronts is perhaps superior, and that's by no means a uh, a critique of of Efron and Hudgens. But I I thoroughly enjoyed listening to and watching to this watching this pair much more. Yeah, I agree. Just a tremendous amount of authenticity in their performances. I mean, you believe that they're the age that they are, but it's never sort of the cringy performance that young, inexperienced actors sometimes turn out in teenage melodrama. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just very well done. One final note that I'll make, and I don't know if you have any other thoughts to share as well, but on this on this uh, first song, is uh, just how overall, regardless of which version we're listening to, Nini's or Ricky's or uh, the duet or the acoustic version that we get on the soundtrack, uh, there's always this kind of plucky, um, feel-good uh, Jason Mraz-ishness um, about it that I just find very appealing as well. It's It's uplifting. That's great. And and I think, too, it's worth, I like how you talked about Jason Mraz. There are some other um, modern performers who, who, based on the quality of their work, I feel like is also illustrated in some of the choices that the HSM TMTS cast make um, <laughs> well, when we talk about uh, Nini's uh, or Rodrigo's songs. Uh, I think that'll become abundantly clear, too. But yeah, the Jason Mraz piece is very clear. And also because I'm not sure about you, out of all the songs, I think this one is perhaps the most hummable. Like I could instantly hum it without any, without hearing it for a month, right? Because it's just oh, so yeah. catchy. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and that's probably the reason that I think it's the most frequently um, reprised song throughout the, uh, throughout the first season. We hear it in a number of iterations and it does sort of... Um, you know, become a narrative of its own. You know, each time we hear this song, the the new way that we hear it reflects a change that has happened. Very cool. Yeah, great. Yeah. So let's shift over to Wondering, which is by uh, Ashlyn and Nini. So this is, again, episode two, and it's set where they're kind of sitting on the stage and Ashlyn is very encouraging of Nini. We see Ashlyn as this really just sweet and pure singer-songwriter type of character and um and you know th when you add the piano into the mix it's just it's magic but um what, what are your thoughts of of this song yeah really love this song uh this for me was sort of an aha moment early on in the series obviously in the first episode we got the original song we just talked about but i don't think i had yet fully grasped that original music was going to play such a significant role in the series. I thought maybe that first song had just been written as an early narrative device and we wouldn't get a whole lot more of that going forward. Uh, but then I thought, oh wow, no, these characters are going to, in character, create new music and it's going to be a significant part of the series. 
And what a song to have that realization with, um, because it is this you know, big power ballad. It's really beautiful. It's phenomenally sung by these two vocalists. Um, it is written by, or co-written by a guy named uh, Josh Cumby, I think. And he has written uh, for Janet Jackson, Madonna, Chris Brown, Hilary Duff, um, Adam Lambert, and even Lindsey Sterling. Uh, so he knows his way around both a pop song and uh, sort of an instrumental pop number. And he's written really big hits for those people too. So it's kind of a win, I think, that the series got him to come in and write this. Uh, and I, I wish that this had been the sort of the big song from the series. We'll talk about later, there's a different song that was actually released as quote unquote, the single from the show. I wish it had been this one. Um, you know, you mentioned Brett, the piano and on the, on the soundtrack, we get two versions. There's one with just piano only, and there's another that adds strings and it just, it works so well both ways. And I just think that um, it, it creates like a moment, an emotional moment in, in the series. Yeah, well, and thanks for talking about the songwriters, too. I think that's a, a really nice touch that you're adding to this. And I, I made a, um, a note that, no, this is not a cappella. I was thinking of something else. But the, the piano um, work on here is so good. I, I want to believe it is um, the actress's Julia Lester, I believe, um, who plays Ashlyn. I, I believe that is her playing. She's really, really good. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome too that you know you have these awesome singers and dancers and actor actors and but they're also you know musicians you see them playing the guitar or the piano or whatever the instrument may be it just kind of reinforces that notion of that these are performers in the truest sense of the word yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to add, you know, we talked about Jason Mraz with the last song. Um, with this one, uh, I got strong notes of both Lauren Daigle and Adele. And uh, I don't mean to imply that this is intentionally pastiche by any means, but uh, but nevertheless, uh, I, yeah, I definitely sort of pick up on that influence and appreciate that because I really like both those artists and their style. Yeah, I totally see the Adele um, part coming in and and you're right it is a power ballad and it's a bit poppy but and it also feels very much like a you know singer-songwriter piece right you you can tell mm-hmm. that Ashlyn has Ashlyn as a character is like that and then the song that she's sharing with Nini is kind of um, illustrative of that you know she's just trying to um, break out and th- th- they have a great chemistry here especially you can tell there are those touches where Ashlyn is kind of um, pushing Nini to you know break out a little bit, and you can hear Nini's voice grow, and kind of those um, just sh- sh- her her ranges. Both of their ranges are quite good, but um, Nini had some, um, or Rodrigo had some really high notes there. She does, yeah. Uh, another thing that I love, or just that I think is very cool, that the show does with this song is that um, they later decide that the character. Miss Darvis within the High School Musical uh, storyline should perform this as a solo. Of course, Miss Darvis never gets her own solo in the original High School Musical. And so not only is that just a neat idea and a way to take, in this show within a show, to take uh, a character's original song from one of those layers and then reutilize it in the other layer, which I think is a neat concept. Uh, But it's also one of several examples of High School Musical, the musical, the series, sort of challenging or questioning or looking for ways to change and improve High School Musical. Um, and so there's this, this commentary here about how it would really be stronger if Miss Darvis were more of a three-dimensional character, which I thought, huh, that's such a great point. 
uh, because she does have that potential. Uh, later in the season, um, there's a whole exchange, sort of a Me Too exchange, looking back on High School Musical and, and sort of questioning whether um, Gabriella's character is feminist or whether she's sort of defined by her longing for Zac Efron and um, or for Troy Bolton. And I thought that was, you know, also very sort of surprisingly brave of Disney to allow this new series to comment on one of its big franchises in that way. See, this is the level of analysis I always love from a guest and, and you bring it that those are such val- like valid points that I probably wasn't thinking about as saliently until you mentioned it. But that that is kind of bold for, for a series to kind of um, not upend the original material, but put it in context, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just kudos, kudos to Disney for there, there's certainly there have been times in Disney's past where we've seen an unwillingness to, <laughs> to kind of, um, you know, own up to a mea culpa. Uh, but yeah, so I think anytime they do that, I'm, I'm here for it. And there's just a few of the lyrics that kind of um, show the notion of thinking about should should I have handled things differently? That's the kind of the basis of wondering if I could go back and change the past be a little bit, be a little braver than I had, and bet against the odds. Would I still be lost? That's wow. really powerful stuff. Wow, that's I had not just pieced together that lyric and what we were just talking about, but yeah, that, that I'm just I'm now all the more impressed that that lyric would arise in the context of you know a scene where the show is first starting to question uh, or challenge the original High School Musical. That's that's pretty cool. Hey, we couldn't have planned it any better than yeah. that. <laughs> so how about we shift over to episode three, which brings us another original song. Uh, the song is <laughs> a, billion, a Billion Sorries, and um, I, oh, I, I have some strong thoughts on this. But uh, sh- Shall I go ahead first, or would you like yeah, to? Yeah, please. So this is, uh, the context of this is that it's a pop song that begins with the EJ character, who is... Um, Nini's on and off again boyfriend, um, played by Matt Cornette. He's kind of talking with Ashlyn, who's his cousin, um, about a possible apology plan that he would uh, share uh, with Nini. And it becomes a pop, kind of a pop ish song, and it's kind of intermixed. It's a very short piece, but it's intermixed between him kind of singing, kind of saying things aloud as if he were. Kind of leaving a voicemail, and um, <laughs> it's it's. I don't think it's necessarily the the best opportunity for Cornette to um, demonstrate his vocal talents. So that's kind of. I, I think it's kind of a, a maybe it's meant to be like an uh, not an in joke, but it, it's meant to maybe be a little bit stupid in tone. But I don't know. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that, you know, it's cringy for sure, but I do think that, you know, it, on some level it seems to know that it's cringy. I don't know if it knows how cringy it is, uh, but like there is that there is that line where he says, sorry, nothing even rhymes with sorry. And that's the one time where I think like, okay, maybe this song is clever and I just like don't fully realize it. But for the most part, I kind of hate this song, like for every other um, second outside of that one lyric. Uh, it's my, my note that I wrote for this track is yikes. Um, it's, you know, like you said, talk singing, it's very kind of Rex Harrison in that way. 
And yet, even though he's talking, there's like some light auto tuning going on, and it just it doesn't help. It somehow makes it worse. Um, he may be a fine vocalist. I mentioned earlier that the cast as a whole is is strong, and I do think there are moments where he sounds stronger than he does here. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's not the show's finest moment musically. Uh, this was written by a pair of songwriters named Gabriel Mann and Jeannie Lurie, who are both, from what I understand, I think they're on contract with Disney. And uh, Gabriel Mann has done, I think, primarily score for uh, ABC. And he scored, I think, all of Modern Family. And then Jeannie Lurie has done a lot of Disney Channel stuff. Um, and and I, I looked at their credits, and I think they've done some some outstanding, memorable things. So I, I, you know, I know they can write a, they, they can write a decent song. I just don't think this is the one. Right. And what's kind of ironic about that is they write a few other original pieces for the soundtrack or for the series, including Truth, Justice and Songs mm. in Our Key, as well as uh, I'm looking here, Roll the Lifetime, which um, what we'll talk about later. I think those are ultimately stronger. Um, but interesting when we when we get it's not a typical series where you have a common songwriter or songwriter team. There's a lot of different flavors in here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, one thing I the, there's one element that I really like about the song, and it's when uh, when EJ's voice cracks when he says "girl," and then he repeats it again, saying "girl" in a much deeper voice. Yeah. Uh, so it's in that sense, it's kind of very playful and um, kind of like what you're saying that it's it recognizing it, it recognizes that there's a cringiness and even him as a as a teenager, just seeing that, okay, yeah, his, his voice is still developing too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I take it back. I said, there was only one moment in this song that I enjoyed, but I did kind of chuckle at that one too. So there are at least two. All right. So up next would be from episode four, all I want. This is a Nini song, one of several original Nini songs. Um, this is, I kind of view it. This as like a want song, like, you know, the traditional Disney one song. And mind you, obviously, the, the word is in the title. But th- she's playing this original piece, I believe, on her keyboard um, and feels... Th- so you, you're making some good references earlier to different, you, you know, common popular musicians whose music is kind of hinted at or um, referenced very lovingly in the series. Um, I was thinking a lot of Sarah Bareilles and Regina Spector as I listen to this, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, I like the kind of the cooing sounds that she makes. I think it's it's a nice demonstration of how t- talented and how much of a range and such pure genius there is in, in Rodrigo's voice. I, I think she's quite a star in the making. I agree. I, I think her star power is um, apparent early on, and, and they make a reference to that um, within the series. I think it might be in the first episode. They talk about how she's a natural-born star. They're talking about the character, of course, but you get the sense that they're talking about the actress, too. Uh, this is a, a Nini song, as you say, in uh, in more than one sense, because this was actually also written by Olivia Rodrigo, who plays Nini, uh, which is impressive to me as well, that at her young age that she turned out something like this. Uh, that having been said, I kind of go back and forth on this song. Um, it's very nicely sung, as you said. I mean, I think that's probably really the, the strongest part. It's just the vocal performance. Uh, 
but there's something about it that's just, I, I just, I don't know, this is a song I tend to skip more often than the others. It's a little bit forgettable to me. Um, it's very Billboard Hot 100. Uh, and in fact, this is, yeah. as I mentioned earlier, the song that they chose to release as a single. They did a music video for it. It did, in fact, chart on the Hot 100. I think that, like down in the 90s. Um, but it, I think it went top 10 on a number of digital charts, including iTunes. And uh, from what I read, it did well on TikTok also, which kind of doesn't surprise me. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, instrumentally, it's somewhat similar to Wondering that we talked about earlier, but I don't know that it earns the lush instrumentation. Like it's not, it's not the big giant moving ballad for me that Wondering is. And yet it has that same instrumentation of piano and strings plus percussion. And I don't know, I almost, I almost wonder if it would do better as sort of a stripped down, a stripped down performance. I don't know, but it does have some nice moments, um, there, there's sort of this cascading thing that happens in the back half of the song where she starts on a higher note and just quickly, like through little eight or quarter notes, just keeps stepping it down a note. And it's, it's, it's very nice. There's some nice modulation going on. Um, there are some unexpected um, jumps in notes throughout the melody. Like it sometimes kind of catches me off guard, like, oh, I didn't think it was going to go there. Uh, and and so in that sense, it kind of, I guess, resists formula. So that's why I say I, I go back and forth. It's kind of forgettable for me, but then I also notice, identify all these things in the song that sort of stand out yeah and i think what what probably hurts it a little bit is that it exists in a series with a lot more upbeat songs and ones that are i guess more powerful and and compelling but i think in terms of showcasing the vocal talents uh it's quite effective on that front but i i, I definitely uh resonate with what you're indicating there that it's not the i'll put it this way it's not in my top three but sure. It's, yeah. it, it's serviceable. It definitely, it, it doesn't feel useless by any means. Yeah. And this is probably a good opportunity to make a point that I think applies to many of these songs. And we'll probably come to this point again, which is that these are fundamentally pop songs and they are, uh, even though this isn't Disney channel, it's Disney plus, uh, you know, they are still written, I think for broad appeal and that genre in general, just as a, personal matter is not my favorite genre but there again that's sort of what impresses me about this series even though i don't gravitate toward this type of music generally speaking i do notice all these things about these individual tracks that sort of stand out from the pack and to be uh made for tv quote-unquote series that's impressive very good absolutely well let's uh move over to episode five where we have the original song born to be brave um maybe some initial thoughts on this uh, anthem of sorts for young people. Yeah, definitely an anthem. Uh, the opening notes here are all but infringing on the song by One Direction. Uh, is it Don't Know You're Beautiful? You Don't Know You're Beautiful? It's almost oh, musically yeah. verbatim. Uh, and that's just true of this song in general. I mean, it's fun, the scene especially in the show, it's a very fun, dancey, empowering scene. Um, but I do think that this song is kind of the epitome of, of formulaic pop. Um, it's very uh, greatest showman in that sense. Um, you could almost swap this out for any of the other songs that exist in the pop music subgenre of the um, superficially uplifting song, pop song. Um, so I'm thinking Roar by Katy Perry, uh, Fight Song by Rachel Platten, um, Rise Up by Andre Day, uh, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Um, it's basically that same song um, just for these characters in this moment. Um, but having made that critical comment, I'll just go back to what I said before, which is that it is undeniably fun. 
So I had two similar notes. One is that Katy Perry could sing it. Um, <laughs> and another note is ridiculously fun. Um, I think that's, there's a certain element of where, okay, this is rather generic and that it could be, you know, swapped in with any other, um, you know, general pop song or dance song of, of its like. What's really interesting, Aaron, and I was thinking back as I was watching the clip um, in context, not just listening to it. It's very weird if you think about it. So the context of the scene, if you recall, is where um, you have Dara Renee, who plays Courtney, and Olivia Rodrigo, who plays Nini. They're kind of dancing um, behind, singing and dancing um, behind, I think it was the bowling alley. And, you know, th Courtney is very theatrical and upbeat, and she's trying to lift up Nini's spirits. But you tr you kind of intermix that with the scene from the dance and Carlos is aiming to push himself to get out on the dance floor and show his cool moves. So it's kind of a narrative device about, you know, being brave and putting yourself out there. But what's really weird is you have Courtney and Nini are singing this song, um, which presumably is a song that exists in the series universe, because then on the dance floor, suddenly all the kids are singing this fake commercial hit. So they're kind of singing at the same time. Is it a, a fake song within this world or what? It's just very odd if you kind of go down the rabbit hole. That's such a great point. And I, as you're talking about this, I'm just remembering that the way this performance starts is, as you said, uh, Nini as Courtney. Does that hurt the character's name? Yes, Courtney. Yes. So Nini and Courtney are outside the bowling alley and they're hearing this song that we're about to hear, they're hearing the instrumental sort of muted coming from, from the dance floor and they're outside and they're having this sort of empowering conversation. And then Courtney opens the door and sticks her head into the, into the bowling alley or the dance floor and shouts out, hey, I'm going to need you to start this song over again. And then it starts over and she walks back outside and starts singing it. And so all of that just gels with what you just said, that this must be in their universe a pre-existing song. And I hadn't really thought that out until now, but you're right, it flows. And that's that's cool. That adds texture to, to their world. Yeah, and they're playing it concurrently at the at the school dance as well. So it's just it's just really funny if you think about it. And then, you know, you have all the kids who start dancing in unison and and it really is like a Car Carlos moment to shine. Um, mm -hmm. There's you know, all these background singers and dancers. And, you know, Carlos gets lifted up by his classmates, like, you know, being almost like a, a mosh pit or something like he's a star. And it's just it's so it's so on the nose, but really uh, just puts a smile on your face as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a little element of camp in this whole sequence also, uh, because there is, as you said, this sort of over-the-top, larger-than-life dance number happening inside, and then outside the building, you have this really elaborate choreography, uh, you have big hair, you have big glittery, like, green and purple sequenced outfits. Um, it's all almost like a little garish, but in a, in a sort of a camp spirit. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's all just sort of big and almost like um, drag show-esque in a way. Yeah, well, and, and I love that there's this portion of it that is just focused on Courtney and Nini, and you can see that they're really good friends and um, they're kind of motivating to, with one another, kind of in the same way with Nini and Ashlyn as well. There was a part of me because it was set at, at at least the Nini and Courtney part is set at night, um, kind of in this 
um, you know, alley or, you know, parking lot type environment. It kind of made me think of Bet On It from the third high school musical film that mm. was kind of set at night and it was between the two. Um, it was Troy and uh, Troy and Chad. So it's just I don't know. I made kind of a connection there, even though the tone of the songs is very different. But in terms of the um, f- kind of the physicality and the environment that they inhabit. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, there, there you have Born to be Brave. And I have to say, I, I love some of the lyrics, too, with this. So uh, example being let my hair down and let it go. No more running. I run this show way up here. Yeah, the view was gold. It's just it feels very fresh and contemporary and, and just effervescent. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it is. It's everything about this is effervescent. And thanks to Aaron for joining me. As I said at the top of the podcast, there is a part two. We have more songs to discuss, both original tunes and then some of the returning favorites that we have yet to talk about. So expect part two for a lot more fun on the high school musical, the musical, the soundtrack front. And I also want to mention that if you enjoy good books, and of course you do, because you are listening to this podcast. I have long recommended and welcomed on my friends from the Book of the Mouse Club podcast. That's Emily McDermott and Courtney Guth. And I was recently a guest on their podcast as we talked about Kevin Rafferty's autobiography, Magic Journey, which is an amazing uh, photo gallery and uh, chronicling his really storied career in Walt Disney Imagineering for more than four decades. So we talk about Kevin's amazing book in great depth and with a lot of laughs. So definitely check out Book of the Mouse Club. That's episode 40 and that debuted earlier this month. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.